Welcome to Building Worthiness. My name is Mia, or officially Dr. Mary Patricia Quinn-Liven. And this podcast is all about discovering just how entirely worthy we are. And I'll be using my journey of awakening as an example, but it's very much a shared journey as to how we go about building worthiness. And I'd love you to look me up on my website, which is livingawarenesswa.com. So today's episode is going to be all about coming more into alignment with who we really need to be in the world. And this is paramount in terms of growing worthiness and growing our self-esteem. And I'm going to use as an example my medical journey and how it took quite significant suffering, in fact very severe insomnia, to wake me up to who I needed to be. And that's the case all the time, that when we're not listening to our inner being and not trusting our in a spirit or God essence, but we're holding on to or clinging on to who we think we should be or what the world thinks we should be. And back then, I didn't have much of a clue about spirituality. I didn't have a clue about how to start to listen to my inner being. I couldn't even have conceived of learning to just trust spirit and kind of jumping off a cliff, if you like. So that meant that it was a pretty rough journey. And, you know, I want to share because I now realise that the more we cling on to what's not wholesome for us, the more significant the, if you like, suffering or the challenge is going to be that will be needed to wake us up. And I was recently thinking to myself that I was getting better at that and I could hear my inner spirit better, and and I definitely can. Um, But I was thinking that I, you know, wouldn't have to struggle so much to wake up. But then I did have a two-week experience recently with back pain, and it made me realise that I haven't quite got it sorted yet (laughs) in terms of being able to listen to what's wholesome or what's in alignment. And that, you know, it may well always be the case that Sometimes it does take a little shift or a change or to wake us up to something that we haven't yet seen or discovered. So I'll share a bit of my journey of medicine and that was that I graduated in 1991 and I worked in the hospitals for a few years and then I went out into general practice. And I probably never really loved doing what I was doing. I knew I wanted to be with people. I knew I wanted to help people. I worked with lovely colleagues and my patients were lovely. And I did learn over 20 years in general practice how to, you know, set boundaries and be clear with people and so I didn't run late. And that was a really important part of, I guess, surviving in medicine because... When people are very unwell, of course, they get scared and they want to have their list and everything dealt with, And but it can get overwhelming. So you, I did have to get good at, at boundaries and being clear. And 
because I'd had a lot of counselling, that was that was okay. But there was a deeper level, which was I wasn't satisfied or fulfilled. I just wasn't really enjoying what I was doing at a deep level. And I now understand that that's really to do with the way medicine works, you know, seeing a patient every 15 minutes, although I did used to see a lot of long appointments, half an hour. And just the focus of physical medicine where we're not embracing that whole psychological, emotional, spiritual, connected being in front of us. And I think I always felt like I wasn't getting to the core of it, like it was just Band-Aid stuff, you know. And even the whole setting, you know, we were in a general practice indoors, it was busy, there was sort of noise and machines and lots of um, people sitting in the waiting room and you know, it just, it wasn't conducive to presence, to connection. I now know how much connecting to the earth and nature, to listening to our inner being, to nourishment. It wasn't nourishing, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't people really getting to the source of what was going on in them. So anyway, I was still being a GP and you know, I was enjoying it enough. And of course, the family was very dependent on my income. And I felt that I needed to work to support the family. My husband was working too, of course, but we had children here at home and still a mortgage to pay. And, you know, all those things that are really important <laughs> and a big part of all of our lives, part of our responsibility, I suppose you could say. So, what happened was that one evening I just went to bed, it was on a Sunday evening and I had a session the next morning of general practice and I just lay awake all night. I think this was in 2010 and I had no idea really why I was so agitated. My body was just agitated and tense and so anyway I had to cancel the next day's session because I didn't want to put patients at risk because I knew I was very overtired. And what continued to happen was that every time I tried to go to a general practice session the night before, I wouldn't sleep at all. So I ended up having to cancel a lot of my general practice sessions and it was pretty scary stuff. I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know why suddenly I'd started to develop insomnia. I didn't know how I was going to support my family. Of course, my family were a bit stressed as well. And because I was so connected to, you know, I'd studied medicine for six years and I was a GP and, you know, the, the income, the security, financial security side of it, and I, I found it really hard to even conceive of having to leave that setting of general practice. I didn't really know what I was going to do, but my body was not getting better. I was not, I was continuing not to sleep. Sometimes I would go in and you know, just try and talk to the girls on the reception desk and I'd be in tears and, you know, it was it was pretty rough. <laughs> All my colleagues told me I was depressed and anxious and I had to take medication. And so for the first time in my life, I did try a little bit of medication. I wasn't very happy with it, to be honest, but I did try it. And so what sort of then happened was I cut my sessions right down. I think I was at two sessions and I started doing some surgical assisting 
which worked for a little while and I did meet some lovely people but of course that wasn't me at all either so I kept getting insomnia and eventually it got down to the point where I couldn't even organise a single session of general practice. I just would go in and see some emergency clients if I happened to have slept that night <laughs> and in the end I had to give up completely because it just, you know, I couldn't sustain it. So I had always thought that I loved mental health and the idea came to me that I would just work from home, work from my own practice and I would do counselling because I'd done a couple of years of psychotherapy training already. I knew I was interested in that. I was really scared of it because I knew I was in a bit of a state myself. I was, to be honest, completely burnt out. But I knew if I was working for myself, I could manage the amount of clients that I saw and I could, you know, limit that and I could spend an hour with people and it would be in a much more calm setting. And I, I did in, in that time, as well as my colleagues saying, you should take medication. I only ended up taking about a quarter of a tablet. But I also went to see a psychiatrist who did counselling and, you know, there was a lot of me having to accept this state that I was in, which was absolutely vulnerable, not really knowing why I couldn't sleep, feeling like a bit of an anxious wreck a fair bit of the time. And so I went to see the psychiatrist who did counselling and I remember sitting in her waiting room and around me in the waiting room there were a lot of people who were particularly unwell and I remember feeling, gosh, you know, I'm just going to have to accept this is what I am in this moment. I'm this person that needs to be sitting in a psychiatrist's room and taking medication and not knowing what the hell is the way forward. And, and it wasn't, it really wasn't easy. It was pretty vulnerable. But I knew, what I was grasping was that I just had to crack open. I just had to be that. And the psychiatrist referred me to a mindfulness course. And I remember it was an outpatient one. I remember going to the mindfulness course and signing up with all these other people. And the lady on the reception was actually one of my general practice patients. And I remember feeling a little bit embarrassed about that. And But again, I realised she was lovely. And again, I realised, hang on, you know, we're all human. We're all going to experience this stuff. We're all going to get depressed or anxious or have complete breakdowns. And I just had to be that. That was what I was. Even then, I was starting to have the knowledge that judging myself was pointless, that I just had to accept this and see where it led me. And, you know, I was, in that regard, I was honest with all my general practice patients. I wrote them a letter and I explained the situation that I was not sleeping and that I was going to have to leave general practice. And, you know, I got so much support and so much care and compassion and I just want to share with you all that vulnerability, it's a gift. If we are not able to be vulnerable, then it's very hard for people to care for us. You know, if we're keeping that stiff upper lip, everything's fine, then how do we expect to ever get support? So I was very pleased, you know, that I was able to just be open, be real, be what I was. But as it turned out, you know, the Seeing the psychiatrist, she meant really well, but neither she nor my husband at the time really understood why I wasn't sleeping. I said I liked my patients. I said 
I liked the colleagues I was working with. And it was more this sense of, well, you're just depressed or... But I knew that there was something else going on. I knew that it was something to do with, I've got to, I've got to change, I've got to make an adjustment. And so I started this working from home. And thankfully, of course, it took a little while to build that up. So I was only seeing, you know, one or two clients a week initially, which was fantastic because I had time to recover. I did a lot of gardening so connecting to the earth, which was beautiful, a lot of walking at the lake. Um, and I really started to meditate as well. And it was beautiful, you know, it, it was scary, but I could feel that this was what I needed to be. And that small dose of medication that my colleagues are wanting me to go and I came off it. And, and yeah, I really felt I was discovering the way forward even though there were scary moments, there were moments where I was waking up at night not quite sure what to deal with, how to deal with someone. And But it would come to me. I'd just breathe and center in and it would come to me. And that was when I read Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power of Now, and initially thought it was beautiful, but that he was a little bit nutty and put it down. But then reread it three months later and it really hit home. And I knew that this was the way forward. It wasn't long after that that I went on a weekend away with my husband Dan and we went camping in a, in a place that was just all bush full of trees and there was a beautiful river there as well. And I really wanted to spend the whole weekend just being very present. We didn't talk a lot and I just was being aware of the trees and that was the first time I started to notice what I would call presence. I just... In one meditation, I just suddenly started to be aware of the trees, of the essence of what they were. And it was really beautiful. And, and that awareness, that sense of depth in everything around me, in the trees, in the ocean, it's only continued to grow since then. I was noticing, though, that something was starting to happen as part of that increasing presence. And I guess... Since experiencing, you know, an episode of depression and some sadness and pain in my childhood, I'd always been someone that didn't like to spend hours in that sort of social chit-chat mode. I guess it starts to feel like it wasn't, it wasn't really valuable or wholesome for me. And I noticed initially when I started to become more mindful, I, I did probably find it more easy to go away with friends and, and manage it just by being more centered. But as presence started to get deeper and deeper, I was aware that being in groups of people for long periods of time where there was the, just that normal everyday social chat, um, I, w I didn't find it easy. And I went away with a group of friends who are lovely people and whom I love dearly to Karajini in I think it was 2016 and I really struggled. I, I didn't sleep most nights, I only got a couple of hours sleep and my body was feeling really tense and I wasn't understanding it and when I got home from that trip um, I rang Isaira, I knew she was, I discovered her on YouTube and I knew she did individual consults and I described what was happening and she told me that, you know, 
that in, she doesn't she finds it really hard to be around that sort of thing for long periods of time as well and although I know that she can manage it and I've learned how since then but um she taught me that it's to do with a vibrational level and initially I thought gosh that's a bit weird but since reading a lot of quantum physics I've started to discover that that as we start to sink into deeper presence our vibrational level shifts it increases and it just feels really uncomfortable to be in certain environments where you're experiencing really different levels and what I have learned to do and it's beautiful is to witness other humans as what they truly are which is divine light love and that does ease it it makes it much easier and I know in the Course in Miracles it says that whatever we view others as it's what we will view ourselves as so it's been a beautiful thing to be able to do that however it still doesn't mean that I would choose to spend long periods of time in you know party situations unless it was something that I knew I was really meant to do so that was my first introduction to Isaira and after that I went to a retreat I think that was also in 2016 and I was still having a lot of doubt about all this spiritual stuff and I remember when I was going to that retreat my neck and shoulders were incredibly tense and I think I could sense that I was or my ego could sense that it was on this slippery slope and I was wanting to just hold on and not let go. And I remember witnessing Isaira as this being that was just so open and that felt incredibly scary and vulnerable to me. You know, the ego I have discovered is incredibly tricky and when it's sensing its, its decline, it will come up with all sorts of things to get you out of that space that that is spirituality that feels vulnerable. It will come up with all sorts of ways of saving itself. And, you know, I was thinking this spirituality thing is crazy and what am I doing? And I was trying to find all sorts of things wrong with Isaira, all of them, my projection the fact that she was beautiful, you know, it meant that lots of jealousy was coming up in me as well. But I just kept seeing how loving she was and I knew that what was happening in me was somehow wholesome. I knew I was being led towards love. I, there was an openness, you know, I would ask Isaira a question and find myself in tears just with a sense of love I could feel that I was cracking open and that more than anything else just kept pulling me in the direction of opening in the direction that I knew was wholesome and I want to talk just a little bit about quantum physics here because that was the first weekend that I was really feeling um, though I was aware of the love and aware of the direction I wanted to go my scientific brain was really struggling with some of the things that Isaira was saying. And since then I've discovered that Albert Einstein was a deeply conscious being and Albert Einstein said, reality is merely an illusion, 
albeit a very persistent one. He also said, what we have called matter is energy, whose vibration has been so lowered as to be perceptible to the senses. There is no matter. And I must admit, knowing that Albert Einstein came to that conclusion started to ease some of my doubt. Isaira was saying things like, at the deepest level there is no form. Existence is more like a holographic field, and within this field all potential forms are present. That it's to do with ways of energy interacting and creating the appearance of form where they interact. And that we are really 99 point something percent space. And I started to look up some of this stuff as I when I came home and I did look up an atom and, and understood that a nucleus is a tiny space in the middle and electrons float around the outside and atoms are mostly empty space. Everything is vibrating, everything is moving. And Einstein's idea that matter is merely energy whose vibration is slowed down so as to be perceptible to the human senses started to make more sense to me. And then when I started to actually experience what Isaira calls empty fullness, so when I went to Uluru in 2017, and I'll be talking about that in later episodes, but I started to experience that sensation of emptiness and that the deepest level of that is light or love. And I knew myself as pure awareness and it was unbelievably beautiful when I first experienced that. There was also, I must admit, a lot of wobbliness. It's a really, it's a state that the ego's very unused to, but Isaira was there just supporting me. I'll be sharing much more about that in future episodes. There was something else that I came across recently in terms of quantum physics and it was called the double slit experiment and it was describing how quantum particles, which are the smallest particles, the building blocks, um, that when they're directly observed by our eyes, they behave like a particle. But when they are unobserved, they behave much more like a waveform, like an energetic waveform with infinite potential. So that, in fact, it's our observation that collapses them into the more particle-like state, which I thought was really interesting and kind of fits with Einstein's statement that matter doesn't really exist, that it's really waves of energy whose vibration has slowed down enough to be perceptible to our senses. So I was starting to um, discover more and more that in fact this spirituality is not um, separate from science, in fact it fits with science. But of course most of us that have been science-based over the years, you know, we we have a lot of fear and I had a lot of fear in my past and I wouldn't have wanted to conceive of the world 
being merely energy, you know, that in fact what we truly are is pure potentiality, pure awareness. The more I discover that though, you know, that's the most reliable, safe, loving state. This physical realm that we like to think of as solid and we like to build solid concrete houses and feel the earth beneath our feet even though the earth really is pure love, pure awareness as well. But this solid realm that we attach to and identify with isn't as solid as it seems and certainly it's this solid world, it's our physical bodies that are finite. Everything changes, everything lives, everything dies, although in truth the essence of what we are never dies. So it's the it's like this journey of spirituality is this shift from recognizing that it's the solid identified form around us that is the impermanent and it's the the pure awareness, pure love essence of what we are that is never ending, never dying. That is the solid ground, if you like. It's like when Jesus said, build your house upon the rock. That's what he meant. Maybe he was having a bit of a joke. It feels, because really, it doesn't feel like rock. It feels like pretty wobbly when you first start to enter it. But it's that space of pure awareness, pure love, unconditional love that we are, that we are held in all the time, that is permanent, never dying, always there. So we're coming to the end of this episode. I just, as I've told you before, that I've been doing a rewrite of an old podcast and that, to be honest, was a bit of a mix of the new and the old. And I know you got quantum physics twice, a little bit in the last one down in this one, but I thought I said it quite well in this one, so I left it in. I just wanted to reiterate, though, the what I was saying at the beginning, which is that as we learn to come into alignment with what's really wholesome, we will heal, we will build worthiness. And, you know, since I left general practice, and admittedly it took me a good, probably two years, uh, you know, I didn't explain that clearly, but it took me a while before I um, left fully. And that was because I was so connected to having to perform in the world and having to earn an income and I wasn't trusting that if I aligned with what my inner being was saying that it would be okay. But I now know, of course, that since I've aligned with my inner being, it has been okay. You know, I may not earn the amount of income that I used to earn when I was at the peak of, you know, general practice, but it's always been enough and it's much more beautiful and I'm much more at peace and I feel much more abundant is the word. You know, not only have I been able to discover a way of being that is totally me, but I feel so at peace and fulfilled and happy with the way I am with clients and what I'm, I guess, facilitating in them, which is their seeing their own inner truth. And I've been able to be so much of a better mother, so much more available, 
you know, when I was doing general practice, I was always a bit exhausted. I was a bit overwhelmed, sort of struggling. And it's because I wasn't in alignment. And now I'm in alignment. There's almost excess energy. (laughs) And that's partly because I'm also very connected. So I feel the flow of the energy from earth, of spirit. It's not that I don't have to look after myself and look after my sleep and not take on too much. Of course I do, but it's just a much more abundant, energized, less overwhelmed feeling. And that sense of self-worth, that sense of worthiness has continued to build. So I just want to, you know, encourage you all and it may not be that you have to change your profession, not at all, but sometimes, well, sometimes it might be that, but sometimes it's about just becoming more authentic to who you are within the job that you do. Or it might be in the way you're parenting, or it might be in the way you're dealing with your family, or the way you're, you know, looking after yourself or seeing what patterns may need to change within you. It's just this ever-increasing ability to listen inward, to be in silence, to come more into alignment with what spirit and, you know, God's will is really our will. It's the same will. And as we align with that, our sense of worthiness and peace and compassion just builds and builds and builds. So I think that's enough for today. Thank you for being here with me. It's such a pleasure and a privilege to talk to you and share with you. I would love you to subscribe to this podcast and share it with friends and family, anyone you think that may be interested. And please check me out on my website, which is livingawarenesswa.com or my Facebook or Instagram pages, which are the same, Living Awareness WA. And I highly recommend Isaira or Auntie Jinta and her website is isaira.com. Much love to you all.